0: I'm a little bit extra nervous this morning. I don't know why. This is, I think, the sixth or seventh sermon I've preached. I was telling my wife and a few of the other guys here that were early this morning that I don't know why it just feels like my first sermon all over again. And honestly, I don't know why. It just does. There's a different feel to it, a different vibe to it. Since Since yesterday, it's been that way. And it's like some of the lessons that I have with you, some of them are more serious tone. And you guys know I like to joke and I like to have fun. But every time I would think of something that's a joke, it's just something about God says, this is serious. The message that you're bringing is serious. It's okay. There's a time to plan, a time to joke. I know God, he has a sense of humor. Because anytime we make our plans way down the road, he's probably sitting there laughing. So I know God has a sense of humor. But this morning, sorry. This morning, I was thinking about resolutions and I seen Angela's post last night about resolutions and it should be more about purpose and something about that really struck me and I mean it's like I already had all this stuff planned out and laid out about resolutions what I was going to talk about and then I seen that and it just wouldn't leave my mind it's like what's your new year's resolutions for this year what's America what's the top three or four you know for the last three years what are the top resolutions I wasn't going to read through them but I'm not and you can already guess them it's get healthy get mentally well see your family more be well at your job and spend less time on social media those are basically the top five for the last three years but when she said purpose and the songs we sang this morning it just it has a different feel to it than what i originally intended or planned when i got up here it's what is the purpose for 2023 what's the purpose we can have all these resolutions what's resolution mean that means to have a firm decision in doing something or not to do something. That's what a resolution is. Well, if we stick to that, we'll also be better in our purpose. And I love that. What's your purpose? What's God's purpose for you this year? God has a purpose. Every day we wake up is a new day. Well, this is a new day, a new year. And it has that new feel to it. It really does. And I, I, I enjoy that. I love what waking up and seeing It's beautiful outside. After all the horrible weather we've had, it's like God saying, okay, this isn't 2020. Now we're in 2023. This is going to be all right. <laughs> you guys have uh, know what 2020 was like. So we went through what some of the resolutions were for, the, for America. and what, But as a Christian, some of the New Year's resolutions we should have as Christians. Ours should look a little bit different than everyone else. For us, like a New Year's resolution could be, I'm going to read the Bible more every day. If you don't read the Bible, it could be, I'm going to start reading the Bible daily. I'm going to start one-on-one time prayer with God. Instead of just throwing a few prayers up throughout the day, God, please let me have a good day. Please keep us healthy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Instead of something like that, actually getting up early, spending time with him, one-on-one where it's meaningful. And I thought about it would be like that with my kids if I only talked to them like that once a day. If that, once a month, where they checked in and said, hey, Dad, everything's going good. Hope you have a good day. See you later. I, wanna, I hear from them in the morning before they go. It's a tornado in the house, but that's okay. And then when I come home, how's your day? How is it going? And I want to know. I want to hear it. I want to see what's going on and give them advice and show them how to do certain things and keep them out of trouble. But if they never come to me, if they never came around, how are they to know? How are they to know how much I love them or how much they love me? I think that one-on-one time with God is precious. He is our Father. He wants to talk to us. He wants us to talk with Him. Yes, He can be with us, but if we don't have a relationship with Him, it's totally different than if we're, as Christians, we should be doing those things. So starting this year, we could devote more of our time in the morning, in the evening, when you have that one-on-one time with God to having prayer, reading your Bible. It could be things like, I'm going to be more involved in church. I'm going to be more committed in helping out or tithing every Sunday. Or it could be to spread the gospel and tell more people about Jesus. I'm going to take more opportunities as they present themselves to tell people about Christ. You could do that because there's plenty of opportunities. In this room, each person at least knows 20 people. I know y'all all know more than that. So a few 20 times, however many he's in here, that's a lot of people that comes through our lives every day. And if we tell them about Christ, that's a lot of people knowing about Christ. That's a lot of people. So as Christians, we talked about some of the things that we could have as New Year's resolutions, and that's just to name a few. That right there is just the short list. There's a lot of things we could do as Christians as New Year's resolutions. But the one I want to focus on this morning is the prayer. We'll circle back around to prayer, our one-on-one time with God, and that's how we would grow a relationship with God. And I, I see there's two different types of prayers. And if I would ask anyone in here, how's your prayer life? most of you including myself kind of ooh, like that's a little bit of a sensitive spot probably not as good as it should be right and that's most people and it's not mine not either and most people isn't because you can't really spend too much time with God but I think I I was thinking about it you know we we hear of prayer warriors and how many of you guys have seen war room the movie war room I watched it last year it's awesome awesome movie you have your own closet you go in there and you pray and you write down everything that comes to your mind that god's telling you and then you start seeing everything that he's doing in your life that's a prayer warrior that's somebody that goes in there and everything that bothers him everything that's weighing on them they bring it to god and they have that set time every day like we was talking about a set time to go in and have personal one-on-one time with god so you can hear him and you'll know his will for you you're not going to know god's will if you don't read the bible and you don't pray to god you're like, God, why is this happening? Have you seen the meme on Facebook where the guy's driving the bicycle and he's got a bar in his hand and as he's driving, he sticks it in the front spoke and it flips him over on the ground. He goes, Why God? He did it to himself. That's that's a lot of it. That wasn't even in my sermon, that just came to my head. <laughs> a, lot of the, a lot of that stuff you do to yourselves. And if you would just read your Bible and get in God's word and pray with him, he will reveal it to you. I truly believe it. I don't think it's some mysticism, some weird magical stuff. No, God will reveal it. It may not be audibly, but he'll put someone in your lives where all of a sudden you're like, I don't need to be doing that or I should do that. You'll know that it's God telling you to move on something. And that's from that one-on-one time with God. And the more you're with him, the more sensitive you are to his word. The more time you spend in the Bible with God, The more time, the more sensitive you hear it. It won't take a sledgehammer to get you to listen to him because you're constantly speaking with him. Does that make sense? Sorry, you're not the youth. I don't have to ask you guys. Oh, by the way, I asked this earlier this morning. If you guys stayed up last night, I'll try to keep the volume up. I won't try to talk like this. So you guys stay awake. Um, I I, I stayed up all the way. I mean, I stayed up late. I stayed up till 9.30 last night. I knew I would be up here in a a nervous, sleepy me is not a good me. So there's the prayer warrior, right? We have the prayer warrior. Somebody that prays, they pray all the time. And then you have, and and I'll coin this because I thought I came up with this, a flare gun prayer. You guys probably already know what that means. You don't ask God until you want something, need something, or something bad happened. Look at that. I need you. I need you now. Come over here. I'm on this island. I need you the flare gun prayer, prayer person, Christian. So today we'll be looking at, in scripture, I'm not just going to sit up here and talk about these things all day, we're actually going to look at scripture. We're going to look at the parable of the persistent widow when she goes before the unrighteous judge, unjust judge, and also we'll be looking at Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 10. And in that, it talks about his thorn in the flesh and how he asked for it to be removed for three times. He doesn't just ask uh, God to remove it. He pleads with God to remove it. So it's something that really bothers him. Um, And after that, I'm going to give just a short part of my testimony about that because that kind of goes into how I came to be right here where I'm standing right now. And it won't be very long, but I felt like God was saying, "You you need to tell them this. Because I've had multiple people come up and ask me, they knew me I mean my family friends and even people that I just kind of started to know in the church over the past four years here what what caused that why are you up there I mean I remember Shasta asking me sorry Shasta I didn't mean to call you out she asked me I don't know last year sometime or maybe even early this year what happened for you to take over the youth the way that it how, how that happened because when I first started I was I was nervous about it and I was I wanted them to have the youth pastor they deserved, somebody that would give them the time they deserved, and I wish that I could have done things a little bit different, but as I, when me and Amanda first came here, I was asked to take over the middle school boys room, and then eventually the middle school girls came in, and it just kind of went from there, but what changed was this, I remember sitting in a meeting, and I don't know which one of you were in there, but in the meeting, in the fellowship hall, I was in it, because we're talking about getting a new youth pastor. And, and I was in it, and I thought, that's good. That way they'll have who they deserve. And then I got home that night, and it just kept eating at me, eating at me, eating at me. And I, felt, I started praying about it. And I felt like God was saying, are you trying your hardest? Are you giving them everything you have? Are you really studying this and, and showing them this? And I was to a degree, but I wasn't giving it everything I had. And I said, try it. I didn't audibly hear God say that. But in prayer, you, can, you know, you can feel things, what God's telling you. So I did. I started to try. I started doing everything that I knew how, physically, spiritually possible. And then it just, and it just turned on its head. It's like, this is it. This is what I want you to do. And for you to tell me that I would get a, not just get along with teenagers, but to enjoy being around them, it is God. That's no, it's a joke, but it's not a joke. Like, it's, it's a joke, but it's not a joke. And they can tell you, I truly enjoy being with them. I love hanging out with them. That's God. That is God. Because I grew up in a man's world. I had four uncles, a dad, a brother. The only women in my life was my mom, my grandma, and my aunt. That's it. And, I, and they were rough. Like, they, they didn't cut me no slack. So, and then going to the military, combat MOS, all-male MOS. So all I know is a man's world. Poor Amanda and Bella, they come into my house, and uh, <laughs> they cried for like three months because I'm I wasn't sensitive enough, I guess, but um, I'm learning, I'm learning um, to change my heart. But that's, uh, God moves in ways you never see him move. And if you told me I'd be standing here today, I said, you're crazy. If you had told me that a little over a year ago, I said you were crazy. But here I am, and we'll talk about that coming into it. That right there was a prelude, and I guess to what's coming on the third half. Um, So each of these passages in Scripture, that's going to be dealing with The title of this sermon is called Persistent Prayer. That's what the title of the sermon is called. And we're going to be starting in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 18, verse 1. So if you'll turn with me there, and that's on page 877. And if you're using a Bible in the pew rack, and we say this every Sunday, Josh and I, if you guys don't have a Bible, if you're here, take that Bible home with you. It's yours. Uh, We want you to, to know God and to make him known. And it all starts with reading his word. And if you know someone that doesn't have a Bible, take it to them. It's it's their Bible. So, as you're turning there, I'm going to read through Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And then when I get done, we're going to go back through there and kind of break it down about what it means and what it's talking about. All right. So, probably been good for me to turn there before you guys did. All right, starting in Luke chapter 18. so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now that last verse always kind of confused me. That last verse of that kind of confused me. And I'll tell you what this passage is not talking about. I'll tell you, I'll begin with what it isn't talking about. It's not talking about if you continually beat God down, that this isn't part of the parable. If you continually, continually beat God down with your prayer, that he will give you what you want. That's not what this is talking about whatsoever. And the last verse always kind of confused me because I thought, what does this have to do with prayer? What does that have to do with persistent prayer? If you look at the end of verse 8, it says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What's it have to do with the judge and this woman that's needy and he doesn't give her justice? It all starts in verse 1. If you will, go back to verse 1, please. The verse, in verse 1, it says this. And he, and he told them in a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He's talking to the disciples. And if you look in chapter 17, verse 22, when he's going down through there, he's talking about, this is leading up to verse 18 where we're at. In verse 17, verse 22, all the way down to verse 18, or 18, verse 1, he's talking about the second coming of Christ. In verse 30 of chapter 17, he says, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So that's what he's he's telling the disciples about what it's going to look like in the second coming, and to get ready, I'm coming back. And so this is the verse that's going up into verse 1 right here. And right here it says, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always praise and to lose heart. Why would he tell them that? Why would he tell them not to lose heart? It's not some piffy saying like... Don't lose heart. It's not some bumper sticker slogan that he's talking about. What he's talking about in this is he's telling them to always to pray and not lose heart, always be praying until I come so you'll persevere. He knew what was coming. He knew there was gonna be persecution, murder. He knew that like in today's world, we're always ridiculed, dismissed as Christians, things like that. He knew what they were gonna go through. He knew what the disciples were gonna go through. So he's telling them, he's telling them to always praise and not lose heart. Always pray and get ready for my second coming, I am coming back. Always pray and don't lose heart. That's what he's talking about when he goes into this. That's the context behind verse one, as we get into the parable. And then we are talking about a certain justice to the woman. We'll talk about that here in a second. Now in verse two and three, verse two and three, it says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city, who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So there's the first two characters that line up in this parable. So you have the judge, who's very unrighteous, very unjust. He, I guess you'd say he despised justice, or he could just care less. It's one of the two. And and back then in the ancient Middle East, judges were very, very crooked. So that's another thing that probably he threw this in the parable. Um, And then you have the woman who is this widow, and obviously she's going to this judge, she's in a desperate situation. That means she has no other family members to help her out or to go before her in her, in her stead. So she is in a, she's in a bad way and against her adversary. Now in the, in the Greek, the adversary means one who brings a lawsuit. That's one who, so it's a legal setting. So he's going before, she's going before this judge in a legal setting. Um, so you have a widow who's bringing a lawsuit in front of an unjust judge So that doesn't look very good. It doesn't bode well for the the poor widow, does it? If she's going before this judge. So it just shows her desperation. She had no options. She's the prime example of the poor, the oppressed, the helpless, someone that doesn't have anyone, no money or anything. Now, since the, the judge neither feared man nor respected, or feared God nor respected man, what would cause the judge to rule in her favor? What thing, what one thing? She doesn't have money. She doesn't have status. She's not some who's who in the community. So what does she do? Continually, continually beats him down until he's like, you know what? I'm sick of this woman. I'm going to give her whatever she wants just to leave me alone. I'm I'm sick of it. So just for her to leave me alone, I'm going to give this woman justice. I'm going to give this woman justice. And we see that in the beginning of verse 4, that initially he refused. So he was already telling her, no, I'm not, I'm not messing with you, I'm not doing this, just, just get out of here. And eventually he refused, but if we read in verses 4 and 5, it backs up what we're saying. It says, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. There's different versions of that in, in, in your Bibles and, and whatnot, but in some of it, if you look in the Greek, it's talking about a blackened eye. So that he, it's to the point where it's like he feels like she's beating him up over this, over and over and over. So even though the judge seemingly despised justice, he gives her just that. He gives her just that. Why? Because she wouldn't give up. Now, in verses 6 and 7, it says, And the Lord said... Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So if an unjust judge who does not fear God, doesn't respect man, will get justice, would he not give his children, the ones in whom he loves, wouldn't God give his children justice? Wouldn't God give the ones that he loves, his elect, his, the Christians, his, the, his followers, justice? Those who pray to him persistently, wouldn't they give justice? When he gives us justice? Now, you have to keep in mind that question with the overarching theme about what he's actually talking about. And here's where the parable links up with what we were saying. The justice that we're talking about is the justice when Jesus Christ returns. Now, in the world right now, think of all the perverseness, all the sickness, the disease, the illness, the fighting, the, the arguing, what sin brings to the world. We as Christians naturally, naturally long for Jesus Christ to return, we naturally long for his second coming. Because we want to see the justice stomped out. We want to, I mean, we want to see the evil stomped out. We want to see his justice done. It's like if someone wronged you in your family, you want the judge to rule for you. Well, he's saying right here, it will be done speedily. Will it not be for you in your elect? I will give her justice, and she will beat me down to continue coming. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will God not give, me, not give the elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice, them them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So he's talking about the justice here is the justice that's going to be done. So for us to want that justice is just as natural as breathing. We want to see justice done, we want to see everything perfect. We can't wait for him. I've thought about that many times. What would it be like if Jesus came in my lifetime? I would be happy i would not be scared whatsoever i would think it was now i might be like in reverence of fear like oh wow like what's happening but the other side of me is gonna be like let's do this get rid of all of it i'm i'm tired of all the sickness the fighting the war it's finally done he has come he's returned on earth thank you like i I would be super excited now the people that don't belong to him they're the ones that should be the most afraid for obvious reasons but that's why it's so natural for us to want that justice and that's the justice that's talking about here in this parable Now, and and that makes verse 8, all this, now that we know everything we know, it makes verse 8 seem, it makes more sense to me now. And in verse 8, it says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, this is a question of our willingness to persevere, to persevere. Will we be persistent in prayer? Will he find faith on earth? Like it says in verse 8. Persistent prayer is necessary to persevere. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're, it's going to be very hard to persevere until the end. If you don't have a relationship with him, like we were talking about earlier when I first opened this up, if you don't have a, a super close relationship with God, it's going to be hard to persevere. And perseverance is necessary in order for us as Christians, God's children, to remain faithful until Jesus Christ returns. Now, at the beginning of the parable, I explained what it wasn't. That it's not if you beat... God down with continual prayer and you keep praying for the same thing over and over and over that you're going to get what you want. So we've, we've, we've established that that's not what this parable is speaking about. But let's go down that road anyways. What, what, what about those times when I do pray consistently, persistently, continually? I'm always asking God for the same thing over and over, either to leave me, for me to get this, whatever it may be. Everyone's is different. And if you continually pray, persistent prayer will produce something you will get an answer. Sooner or later, you will get an answer. It may not be the answer you want, and it may be just the answer you were looking for, but you will get an answer. And it may be years, it may be tomorrow, it might be before you walk out the door, that's on God's timing. You will get an answer. You will eventually be given an answer. It's that, and and we're talking about the prayer warrior mentality, we're talking about the flare gun mentality, and the one-on-one time with God, that's persistent prayer. And that helps us to persevere. When you're asking that over and over and over, that's not just asking it once a month, once every now and then when you think about it. Persistent prayer is that one-on-one time when you're up in the morning and you make that a point that you're going to make when you pray to him every morning. That's not doing it every now and then. And there's also a thing of posture of prayer. I don't know if any of you have heard of this. Posture of prayer means you're always in a posture of prayer. That means you're always... Thinking about what god's will is for you in every move you make throughout the day that doesn't mean you're in that one-on-one time in your prayer closet all day long 24 7 but you go out you go about your day and you think what is god's will for my life if you get that extra check for something that you didn't understand why you got it for hundred dollars or however much and it shouldn't be the first thing oh i could use this for that bill i could use this for x y and z it should be what god what do you want me to do with that the very first thing that pops up every move you make god what do you want me to do with that if you start to feel something like you're very angry with someone, God please help me with that. It's always that posture of prayer where he's in the back of your mind. He's in the back of your mind. His will for your life is in the back of your mind. And not the, not the flare gun mentality. Instead of not thinking about God until you need him, you should always be thinking about God because you always need him. You always need God. Your entire life, you're always going to need. Him. There's never a moment when you don't need God. When you're at your most comfortable, when you're, that's when you're most susceptible to the devil's schemes and traps, when you're at your most comfortable. My job's going good. I'm healthy. My kids are healthy. They're doing good in school. I make good living. I, I, I. You didn't do anything. God blessed you with the strength and the mental capability to be able to perform that job. And I hope you believe that because he did. He could take it away from you like that. The health you have, he could take it away from you like that. Everything that you have is not of your own. He has blessed you with that. It's nothing that we did. And I walked into that trap. I was very comfortable. I was good just coming on Sundays, get the feel goods and go home and then come back the next Sunday morning. I did it for a while. And because of that, I now, we talked about being sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I now pray for that, that I'm sensitive to God's word, to when he's wanting something for me, the little things instead of him having to get a sledgehammer to get for me to wake up I don't don't want that so I want I ask him every morning that continual prayer that persistently praying in the mornings God watch your will for me and I want to know and what does that look like little things like don't watch that movie hey that episode that's got that stuff on it you probably shouldn't be watching that and you know but you'll just kind of block it out and you're like it's not that bad the kids aren't in here they can't hear it or we can go down that road too with the kids they shouldn't be watching that show they shouldn't be listening to that music. It's only got two cuss words in it. What's the message it's it's, it's sending? I don't even listen to country music. You can ask a man, it's been years since I've listened to it. I grew up on country music. Loved it, loved it, loved it. But the more I started praying and reading the Bible and everything like that, the more I got into God's word, every time I would hear it, it just hit me wrong. And I thought the whole message in that is just drinking, having a good time, getting with other people, and it's just life's good or about cheating, it's just, none of it's good, none of it exalts God, none of it even does anything close, and you're worshiping something, every song is worship. Don't let them watch that show, don't let them speak to adults that way, those little things, those little corrections that we make as adults, as Christians, Lynette was talking about to me this morning, it's not the kid's fault, it's the parent's fault, It's it's the adult's fault for the reason that kids act the way they do. If they were raised in a stable home where Christ comes first, there wouldn't be half the problems we have in the United States right now. But somewhere along the way, they put him on the back burner. And that's why you see everything you see today with school shootings and everything. It's it's, it's the parents' fault. And the scary thing is, is if that generation gets away with it, What's the generation after that going to look like? And what's the generation after that going to look like? It's going to take one of those to be very strong to draw a line of sand at that point because they have no background. They have no, they have no understanding. They have nothing to fall back on. They want to learn it all themselves from scratch. So start in your homes with your children so they don't have to figure it out for themselves. That way they decide for themselves. They will decide what they're going to do, but they'll have that background and that knowledge of what I should do. And this this part of my sermon, that's just a little part, and it goes into it perfectly. A lot of train wrecks in life, like when your kids get 20, 30, 40 years old, a lot of train wrecks in life, even with yourself, can be prevented by just abiding by the rules of the road. And what I mean by that is when God says stop, you stop. When God says go, you go. It's that listening to God's conviction, the Holy Spirit telling you what to do and what not to do. Don't watch that show. Don't listen to that music. And it starts with your kids, because they hear that over and over and over, and all of a sudden, it's Good Time and Charlie. That sounds pretty good to me. Well, Mom and Dad, I didn't teach them that, but you let them listen to it, and you let them watch it. You can't send your kids, and I've heard this. I can't remember which preacher said it. You can't send your kids to Rome and not expect them to act like Romans. Now, if you're wondering where you can find the rules of the road, it's right here. Is right here. Everything in life is right here. Everything. You won't find one situation in your life, in your life, that's not solved or has the answer in here. Now, in the Bible, y'all don't have to turn there. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, specifically in here. Getting back on track with the prayer. The apostle Paul writes, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. You want to know what God's will is for you? Like, I don't know God's will. I don't, he doesn't speak to me. I can't hear him audibly. It's in his word right here. It says, it says the will of God in Christ for you. This is the will of God in Christ for you. That's what it says. This is his will to rejoice, to cease, to pray without ceasing. It's telling you right here what to do. The Apostle Paul, he's also, also the author of our next passage, and that's in 2 Corinthians, if you guys will turn with me here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And if you're in the Bibles on the Pure that's page 970. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> now, I'm going to read like a verses 1 through 10 and like the parable of the persistent woman I'm going to read through it and after I get done reading we'll go down through and break it down so sorry I have to keep clearing my throat I don't know how loud that sounds when I do that to you guys but uh I did that when I was praying there was a football game that they asked me to pray for before it started and I did it and I was so nervous this is so random has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about but I I was up there, and it wasn't very long into me. I mean, I didn't associate pastor very long at all. And it was at the DeQuin Leopard football game. And I was up there in the booth. And the longer I was up there, the worse it got. And I said, guys, we got to pray or I'm not going gonna, gonna to fall down. Like, it's, it's got to happen. And it's like, oh, you're okay. It's all right. And anyways, at the time, he kind of got to the side and let me come in. I, I, my throat, I, I kept clearing my throat. And then after I got done, Amanda and I said, that was bad. It hurt our, our, our ears because I kept going during the middle of my prayer. I was so nervous, I messed up the words. And I, I thought, okay, it's not just 150 people listening. There are hundreds of people. And I could see everybody down there and everybody standing up with their hats off. Oh, man, I don't know. It just hit me. I mean, I played football and everything. So it just, oh, it was, but it was good, though. I learned from it and I'm ready now. I'm ready for next time. If they'll have me back, if they're okay with that. All right, so chapter 12, verse 1, I must, be, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. Now, before I read this, I want to let you know, I was going to explain it, but I'm going to tell you to explain it now. In this part, the first six verses, this is Paul speaking in third person out of humility. So he's not, cause, because he doesn't want to eye, eye, eye and puff up that religious pride. So when he's talking about this person, it's him who's speaking. So... I will go on to vision revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter on behalf of this man. I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except out of my weaknesses. Though, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on the first six verses explaining that. I'll just give you a quick overview of it really fast. Now, I already explained to you how Paul speaking to the third person out of humility, the third heaven. Let's go there. The third heaven they're speaking of is the heaven that we would think of heaven where God dwells. Now, in the Middle East, ancient Middle Eastern times, they look up to the heavens. Now, from everything that I've read and all the commentaries I've looked at, they all say the same thing. It's where our atmosphere, that's the first heaven. The second heaven will be the moon, the stars, the galaxies, everything that we would see as outer space. The third heaven would be the place where God dwells, what we think of as heaven, where angels and God reside. So... That would be the third heaven. It's not some new. There's this heaven that God's in. The angels are in this one, and then everybody parties over here. No, it's it's one heaven. They're all together. It's the the third heaven, the one that we would think of naturally. So, Mark Taylor, he wrote the New American Commentary. He he. Now I'm done. I'm not going to speak about the first six verses anymore. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. We're going to move from that. Mark Taylor, he transitions that. What I just kind of went through really fast into the thorn in the flesh perfectly. So I'm going to quote what he put in his commentary. All right? So he, he teased this up really good. He teased it up from the experiences that he had, that Paul had, the revelations that he's shown. It's all this awesome things. And before he even tells a soul, it's been 14 years before he even writes it down. So it's all this awesomeness that he's been revealed. Okay, and I quote, Paul does not visit a series of heavens, he is not let in on secrets that then can be disclosed to others or put in a book to be sealed for a later time. The meaning of what he sees and hears is not interpreted by an angelic tour guide. In the aftermath, what he gets instead is an angel from Satan who plagues him with a thorn that leads him to a deeper understanding of his ministry. End quote." So what he's saying there is, and I love the way he finishes that, he gives, he's allowed Satan to harass him, for a better understanding of his ministry. So why does God initially, why does God, the ultimate purpose, why does God allow Satan to harass Paul? Why does he allow that? It says it in verse 7, to keep him from becoming conceited. So he wouldn't think of himself more than what he was. That's why he gave it. Now we know the why. We don't know what the thorn is. It doesn't say. There's a lot of speculation that it was Paul's eyes or someone, false prophets that were in the church that wouldn't stop badgering him over and over and over we don't know there's speculation a lot of people think it was his eyesight but to be a thorn if you translate over in the greek it's a stake and it's something that's very very painful so they're thinking it's something to do with physicalness but he doesn't tell us exactly what it is and i think i know that's for a reason how we can apply it in everything because i think if he told us exactly what it was then that's something that's the one thing we would avoid or try not to be conceited about but instead it's we don't know and we're not supposed to Now, like I said, it was given to us. So it was something that bothered him tremendously. It doesn't say that Paul asked for it to be removed. He said that he pleaded with the Lord. If I ask my boss, can I have off Friday so I can see my kids? If I ask him, eh, maybe. If I plead with him, that's a little bit different. We agree? Pleading is much different than just asking so he pleads with the Lord. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave from me. So it's a persistent prayer, I guess you say, for a persistent problem, something that really bothered him. Now, I got a question for you. Has there ever been an issue or a problem in your life you think that God may have allowed or still allowing you to have from becoming prideful or even to simply keep you from a certain sin? Think of a thorn that you guys would have in your flesh and while I mean flesh I don't actually mean your body it could be but it comes in many shapes and forms or is it it something that you have persistently asked God to take away or for it to leave you it could even be an emotion the answer that God may have he might very well have for you might be the same answer that was given to Paul and we see that in verse 9 he said to me my grace is sufficient for you For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. So God may very well be using this thorn in your life as an act of grace. Wrap your head around that. For God to allow, he allowed it in Job's life, he allowed it in Paul's life, it happens. Now, God is not the author of evil. He's not the one directly doing it, but he will allow certain things. If Sawyer's doing something over and over and over, I was like you're gonna get hurt son you're gonna get hurt and finally I know that it's not gonna hurt him too bad so I'm just gonna let it happen I'm going to let it happen he's gonna learn from it so I back off and I just let it happen I allow that to happen to him I allow harm to befall him knowing that it's going to keep him down the road from really getting messed up that's just a small example super small compared to what Paul's going through because they didn't want him to be, have that religious pride me I look what God revealed to me look what God showed me man, guys, you don't even know what I know. You don't even know where me and God are. You might be able to get there one day if you just did what I did. But instead, he talks in third person, doesn't say a thing for 14 years. And he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being conceited. I think he was one of the least conceited people in the world and God knew the power of what Paul was revealed and so he allowed Satan to do whatever it was that he allowed him to do, to harass him. Now, I have it written down, but I don't need it because I lived it. I'm going to tell you guys about my little bit of my story. And I told some of this back when I first got hired here in a very short version of it, and there was about half the people in the room that's here now. So a lot of you haven't heard it, and the ones that did hear it didn't hear all of it. And is it really 11:08? i'm sorry guys i'm so sorry i honestly meant to be down at 10:45. that's no joke that's no joke i hadn't looked at a clock or anything sorry don <laughs> he told me he was going to keep that pocket watch i said if i see you look at that pocket watch one time i'm coming down there and i'm gonna get it from you in the middle of me preaching so i'll give you guys a short version of it four years ago five six years ago and Whenever 2015 was. 2015, I started working at a company. Most of you know who the company is. Some of you I worked with at the company. Um, And Sawyer was born October 17, 2015. I started work here October 21, 2015. So new baby boy, new job. Bella's about six years old, and we're living in the old house that we used to live in. I wanted to work every... And I knew they had overtime. I worked as a lab technician when I first started there. For the first year, year and a half, I worked all the overtime I could work because I had this fear of they're not going to have everything they want. So I want to make sure they had everything they wanted. So I worked all the overtime I could get. Well, then after about a year and a half, I got a new fear because I'd missed out everything they had been doing. LSP basketball games, Sawyer's first year. I mean, I may have been around barely because when I was home, I was either sleeping or they were at school. I'd never seen them. So I had this new fear of I'm going to miss out. And I'd rather make pennies and see them grow up than make a ton of money and never see anybody. That, that was my new fear in life. So during the third and fourth year, I left in 2019. So in 2018, I began trying to think, what can I do? What can I do to make enough money to where we still are okay, but I, I'm with the kids every day? Or, you know, at least I see them every day. So I began thinking, and I wanted a farm, because I grew up, my dad, he owned hog houses for Tyson back when they had that here. So I grew up doing that, picking them things up, putting them on the catwalk, like, and he has cows, still has cattle, so I'm used to cattle, and I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'll always be home, I will make good money, you know, enough to, to get by on, and I'll always be home, and I can come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, and everything's great. It sounds perfect, and I love it, because I'm always home. So that's what I wanted. So I thought about, I tried getting a chicken farm, which there's nothing wrong with that. I love it. I, if it wasn't for God's calling on my life to be here, I would rather it be there. I mean, because honestly, I love isolation. I love, man will tell you, I'm introverted. I, I can do by myself really good. That's just the way God made me. I don't know why. I don't get lonely very easy. Now I miss the chaos. Like it's weird when the kids ain't there because I'm used to hearing it, but I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes when they leave, I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. You, you know I needed this. I need to recharge. But anyways, so I, I started the process. I talked to a million different people about how to do it. My family does it. My friends do it. There's no way that I wouldn't have enough knowledge, know-how, and to be able to get them within a year or two. So I started trying to do it. And I kept hitting every wall you could imagine. And then it, even to the point where they said, we're not building new house, chicken houses right now because they had enough and I had to wait for them to open up whatever it is how they do it. And during that time, oh, I was frustrated. I was so frustrated, and I prayed every day about it. And it wasn't like the, the kind of prayer where it's, God, you know my heart. I, lo- I love you. I know this would be good for our life if it be your will. I not said if it be your will, and in my mind I'm thinking it's your will because it's going be, to be great for me and our family, so I know it's got to be your will because I want to be with the kids and I want to be at church. Well, look at me now. But anyways, we uh – sorry, my mouth keeps getting dry. So I did it for about a year, year and a half. And then they started doing really big layoffs around the end of 2019. And I thought, that's it. And my family, they own a business. It's a sawmill business, which my grandpa's been doing it since before I was born. His is in Clarksville, Texas. My dad had one in Idabell, Oklahoma, which is now also in Clarksville, Texas. But at the time, it was in Idabell. And... So I decided, well, I'm just going to go work for the family business. This will save somebody's job that would have gotten laid off. Now they can, at least one person will get to stay there. And I'll go back and I'll be able to go Sundays and be kind of normal hours with my family. So I did that and I went to work for my dad. And about a year after that is when all of it starts. Everything I just told you is going to go towards what I'm about to tell you. About a year into it, my stomach started hurting pretty bad right here. And it was about a month. And I started getting tired of it. I thought, what if, what if it's something, something weird. So I went in, they x-rayed it, and they looked at it, they said, here, take this, in two or three days, you'll be okay, all right, yes, good deal. So I go home, sure enough, two or three days later, I feel fine. Fourth day, I get a call, it says, we need you to come back in, and take an x-ray. I said, okay, well, they must have saw something hung up, or, you know, I don't, I don't know. So I go into the doctor, and they x-ray it. And I go into the room, and when I walk in, I get ready, and they had me lay on the table the first time, so I go over by the table, and they said, no, no, stand over there, okay. I go over there, and I stand up against the wall. She gets the machine, and she picks it up to there. I went cold. Oh, sorry. I went cold all over my body. I started sweating, because you know what it means when they put it here. They're looking at my lungs. My grandmother, she died of lung cancer when she was 50. And my mom was about 23 when it happened. So that's always been kind of in the back of my mind. And I, and I did when I was in the military. I smoked cigarettes. Ooh, it's out there. I did. And I've quit right by the time I got out of the military in 2011. So that was in my mind. I thought, all the, it's finally caught up to me. It's going to happen. This is it. And I don't know why I always panic. I go into alert mode every time. And they said, it's probably nothing, but we're doing it just to make sure, just to be safe. And they looked at it, and I, they found a nodule on my left. I think it was my left lung. So they wanted to make sure. So they sent me to Nashville, Arkansas, to get a CT scan done. I don't know who I was watching this online. Um, to be done, to get a CT scan, just to make sure. So they, they scan it, and then it comes back, and they said, okay, lymph nodes pretty much gone, it's no big deal. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. Because I prayed a lot about that being gone. I mean, I got young kids, etc., etc. And they said, but that's not what's really concerning us. We actually have something that's actually of concern. Then I hit the floor again, and they said that they, my lymph nodes were enlarged quite a bit in my lungs. The lymph nodes in my lungs were enlarged quite a bit, that they were swollen, and they wanted me to go to a pulmonary specialist. So I went to a pulmonary specialist, what does this mean? I don't know. So I finally get to the pulmonary specialist, this guy's about my age. And then we sit down, he starts talking to me, he said, it could be one of three things. It's either a fungal infection of some sort, some kind, lymphoma, or something that's very rare to get, especially for you, it's called sarcoidosis. So I'm thinking it's either a fungal infection or lymphoma. I'm looking at those two things. And I said, what would you do if you were me, if you were sitting right here? And he said, I would get a biopsy. Now, without missing a beat, that's what he said. And I said, that's what we're going to do. We're in the biopsy. So I went in a, a couple of weeks later. They did the biopsy on my lymph nodes and stuff and my lungs. And then for about a week and a half, I waited. You want to talk about hard waiting for something like that. Some of you guys know in here know what that's like. That's hard, especially when you look and you've got a young family. That's hard. And, it, and I waited every day and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. You talk about persistent prayer. And if I prayed about preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, and that was on my mind as much as the thought of lymphoma being in my body. If, if I had that much worry about everyone else, a lot of things would happen. A lot of people would hear about Christ because that was on my mind. That was always there. So I learned a little bit of a lesson in that, and then a week and a half later, I was at my mom's house, and the call came. I pick it up, and the first thing she says is, it's not cancerous. It's not malignant. Literally, that's what she led off with. I could have been somebody else, but that's what she let off with, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. It's not. She said, but you do have something. I said, well, what is it? She said, sarcoidosis. Never heard of that. What is that? She said, well, and I thought, well, I'm not dying anytime soon, so I'm okay with that. I was kind of coming off the rush of everything's okay. And then as time went on, it started hitting me the reality of what I have. And during this time, during this time of when they say what sarcoidosis is, is when I was going on Tuesday nights over to Story Creek Baptist Church for the men stuff and we were talking about 12 disciples and how they left everything behind and I started to question myself would I be willing to leave everything for Jesus and it's like that and all throughout my life I felt like God called me to do something I never knew what and I knew what it was right then because you talk about doors being shut and doors being open they said that there was a position that we we're looking for to feel here and then when they told me I had sarcoidosis, that is triggered by dust any kind of dust particle dust from sawdust pollen in the air and what happens when i breathe it my lungs take it as a threat my immune system goes crazy it attacks them and my lymphatic system goes crazy and you're thinking well that's not that bad they can give you some medicine and it'll make it go down like they treat r.a patients rheumatoid arthritis because it's inflammation basically well with sarcoidosis what that happens when it gets inflamed and everything gets enlarged it causes these things called grandulomas and well i didn't know what that was either i'm not expecting you to it's like i can't even explain what really it is it's like a small hard thing that forms And they've already found one in my right eye. I went to an eye specialist, a heart specialist, and it can form any organ in your body. And should it form in my heart, my brain, or a major organ, it could be bad news bears for me, really bad. So they wanted to check. So I went to every specialist and said, you're good, you just have it right here. So once a year, every six months, I'll go in, they'll check everything just to make sure nothing's forming before I have to get back on that medicine. All that I told you to tell you this, I don't know if you've ever worked at a sawmill before or in a chicken house before, but you talk about dust. You talk about working with cattle, and, and, and bell and hay and stuff like that I can't be around any of it thank the Lord he did not give me what I asked for I would be millions of dollars having to get rid of chicken houses land, equipment, the pain the heartache and the hassle of messing with all that because I, I wouldn't have had a choice sawmill family business what i had to rely on anytime a job went south or i was tired of being in the marine corps because i went to iraq i've seen too much stuff i said i don't want to see any more of it i know i got my family business i can go back to and that was always my my backstop i was always good with that i knew my family would always be taken care of well this i don't know if you've been around a sawmill or not there's a lot of sawdust there's a lot of dust it's like moon dust that stuff just hangs in the air all the time Can't be around that. Well, I thought I can wear a respirator. The doctor said, no. You can only wear that about 15 minutes at a time. Well, eight-hour job, that's kind of hard to pull off. And all this is going on. And I said, God, if you want me to preach, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. And I was terrified. And I knew when I said it, I meant it. And that's what scared me more. Because I've always been a man that can tell you this. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. Especially when I'm talking with God. Chester, does that answer your question about why? (laughs) And for God to give me this, and I'll have it the rest of my life. It doesn't go away. I honestly see it now as a blessing. Might be my thorn, you'd call, but that's God's grace in my life because I would have been miserable to anything else. I love this. And if that means I got to have this, I'm okay with it. I'm good with it. That's God's grace in my life. Sorry for keeping you guys here so long. <laughs> so I'm gonna wrap it up. That's why verse nine hits me so hard. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. On my own, my own strength. I was a I man. I could work. I could outwork anybody in here. Manual labor, maybe not in here, but eh, God said, no, no, no. That's that's pride. Quit relying on your own strength. That'd be my my message to you. Don't rely on your own strength. Rely on God's strength in your life. Submit to God's will. You wanna know his will? Right here. Submit to God's will in your life. You feel he's calling you to do something? Do it. You feel like he's calling something in your life, in the ministry? Do it. You're scared? So am I. You get nervous? So do I. I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2011. I took medicine for it. I haven't had one panic attack from this stage since I've sat on it, and I was scared of that every time I get up here. I had bad panic attacks. I felt like I was going to have a seizure. It was awful. And finally, I just said, I'm done with medicine. I'm done with all of it. This was years back, but I was worried when I got up here, it would trigger all that stuff. It only happened a little bit in a youth meeting one time. You parents that were in there remember because I started rubbing my face, and I said, "Guys, if I'm doing that, if you see me start rubbing everywhere, don't think I'm weird. It's just I'm, my anxiety's kicking up, and it's a little bit of that stuff coming back." And it's never happened with me up here. That comes through my—it went through my mind before I get up here. It's God's grace in my life. That's grace. I want to end all this with verse 10 at the end. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'll give you something I thought about this morning when I woke up. And I'll go through it every now and then. There's going to be a day that I tell Amanda I love her for the last time. There's going to be a day when she tells me she loves me for the last time. There's going to be something. There's going to be a day when it's the last time I'll get to see my parents or them to see me if that was to happen. But there's going to be a first when I see Jesus Christ face to face. And if that's not you, if you're worried about that, because we're all going to die. Hate to wreck your party, we're all going to die. We're all not going to be here in the next 100 years, 105 if some of the babies live longer. Nobody's going to be here. Everybody in this room is going to be in one of two places. We don't live forever. And if you're not relying on God's strength to carry through life and you're a Christian, it's going to be hard. And if you're not a Christian, it's going to be a lot harder. If you're not a Christian, when we get done, I'm going to go down here when the music team comes up here, come up here and talk to me. We'll talk, we'll just talk. I mean, it's not like I'm going to hammer you down and nail it down and and start grilling you. We're just going to talk. I'll give you some scripture on what the Bible says about salvation. And then it's up to you. Because you're the only one that can choose it. Yes, I believe it's a choice. We're not robots. We're not predetermined for anything.